0: You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome to the program. It's hour one on this Wednesday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. Hope you're safe. Come on and stay a while. Coming up, Phil Mickelson will join us. Tony Dungy will stop by. And the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman. You'd like to be part of the program. You can email, you can tweet, dial us up. Join the chat room with Tyler, the moderator, handling the duties there. You can watch on YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show and listen on our great radio affiliates around the country, numbering 362. Major League Baseball sent a proposal to the Players Association yesterday. Apparently it wasn't well received. Of course, it was leaked to the media. Well, the key component was the sliding scale that would cost the highest paid players a whole lot more. And it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. What is just part of negotiations here? Nobody wants to hear how the sausage is made in a sport where many of these players make absurd amounts of money, especially with everything that's going on right now. And I do think Major League Baseball is sort of playing a game here with the players. It feels like the fans are going to look at the players and say, wait a minute, you may make $30 million during a regular season, but uh, during the pandemic, you're only going to make seven. Come on, get out there and play. You're going to get the players who are you know, probably the younger players aren't going to be making that much money, but they're going to be making most of their money. Uh, They make the least amount. I'll explain. They would receive their guaranteed prorated salaries. They'd get most of that. The proposal includes a sliding scale compensation that guarantees players a percentage of their salaries at different intervals during the season. And then there's the postseason. But here's the big thing to keep an eye on. The owners are concerned about the postseason because that's where they make most of their money. The revenue for TV rights, it could be wiped out if there's a second wave of the coronavirus in October and November. This according to USA Today in information that was leaked to uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today. I don't know if there's a a great game plan here. It feels like it's been poorly handled on both sides, but a lot of this being played out in front of the media, in front of uh, fans, and uh, I just don't know if we're that tolerant when it comes to this. You're kind of going, wait a minute. Uh, so Remember when Blake Snell came out and he said, hey, I'm not coming back. It's not worth coming back. Well, the reaction was not good. And it's the fans saying, no, we need you to come back. All right, this is one year. Well... I think they're concerned that it feels like there's, they're capping their money or they're controlling their money. Baseball, the beauty has been there is no salary cap there. And now it looks like they're going to be maybe under a roof, under an umbrella. Maybe there's a glass ceiling here. And I think the players are concerned about this. What happens with next year? If this season... And let's say you go into October, November. If there is a second wave for the coronavirus, then you have games canceled. There is no postseason. Maybe there is no World Series. Do you get started later the following season? And if you get started later the following season, does that mean less money for these players? It's easy for us to spend their money. Where I look at Mike Trout and go, "You make thirty-six million dollars. All right, suck it up. Make seven million prorated here." That's pretty tough. I think for some of these guys making that kind of money. If you can imagine it. Now you might say, well, you can get by on seven million. Yes, you can get by. If you're making thirty six and now they're gonna cut you down to seven million, and you got what, seven, six, seven guys making over thirty million dollars. It's the haves and the have nots, and that's what I was worried about when this started. Because you're gonna have guys who are making the league minimum and they're gonna go, hey, I'm coming back, I got to. Whereas you got, you know, the big ticket items, and they may say That ain't worth it. I don't want to come back. And I think that we could be headed towards a a stare down, a showdown with this, with both sides. But it feels like the NHL has a little bit better plan. The NBA has a little bit better plan. Baseball as, you know, there's some fractures here in the foundation. And that's a big concern because I don't know if you're going to get owners. who just say, you know what? Let's just not come back. We just won't play. And I don't know what the players' options would be. The owners may just say, you know what? Not worth it. Let's it, just not do it. And then if you have top-end players who say, I'm not coming back for that, that could happen. Now, baseball, unfortunately, is in a position right now where there's not must-see TV. Now, we love Clayton Kershaw, Mike Trout. You know, his, I don't know if anybody goes out of their way to see Mike Trout. That, hey, that's must-see TV. As great as he is, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. This is territorial. You love your local team. Mike Trout comes to town. Okay, maybe you go see him. Clayton Kershaw is going to be pitching. Justin Verlander. I think there's certain players, Bryce Harper. But it's not the way it used to be. And baseball, I think, has to understand what role it plays right now. You're going to get overshadowed here quickly. The NBA coming back will overshadow baseball. And then you got the NFL waiting in the on-deck circle. And that's, it's a really, I think, interesting, scary time for Major League Baseball with what's going to happen with the players and what's going to happen with the owners. Are they going to be able to somehow have a compromise here and we're going to have baseball in abbreviated season? I hope. But everything I've read, everything I've heard in the last two months doesn't fill me with confidence. Less confidence. It feels like every day. Uh, Gary Bettman, who's going to join us later on. The NHL is coming back. They're talking about just going right to the playoffs here. So we'll talk to him about those proposals of which cities are you going to be able to play hockey in. And uh, what are the safeguards here? Are there going to be fans involved in this? The NBA, it feels like we have a little bit more of a time frame. But that's just to get everybody to Orlando. Are we going to have teams that are on the outside of the playoffs, you know, getting a chance to uh, maybe compete to get the uh, final spot? Does Portland get a chance to get into the playoffs? Do the Pelicans get a chance to get into the playoffs? I don't know if the NBA is going to look at this and say, let's open it up to everybody. I feel like the less teams that go to Orlando, the better chance you have for this to be successful. And that might be 16 teams that are there, eight in each, uh, the East and the West. Um, But you take out the affiliation there, and it's just going to be the top 16 teams. If that's the case, fine with that. If you say it's 10 teams that are going to go there, I'm fine with that. I would just like to get, you know, some sports back if we can. And the less teams, it feels like, you know, the more safeguards that we're going to have to do that. But it's still, you know, this is a state of flux. It's every single day. It's when we have a meeting after the show and we talk about, well, what are we going to be going after? Guests we're going to go after, topics we're going to talk about the next day. And the last couple of weeks, I just say to Paulie, I have no idea right now. And it felt like, and it feels like every single day, I just say to Todd when he's looking to book guests, I just said, let it play out. We have no idea. There wasn't a baseball story when we left yesterday. There wasn't an NHL story yesterday when we left. And here we are. And then tomorrow's going to be different. Friday is a big day for the NBA. That's where you're going to have the conference call, where the owners are going to be talking about this. But... There's so much more to play out here. That's why when we have these dates where we go, they're coming back June 1st. Okay, how many times have we heard these dates, these artificial dates, and then we blow right by them? The NBA did it. Remember? May 1st, May 8th. Well, here we are at the end of May. We're going to eventually run out of time. And you're going to eventually run out of room on the calendar from, are you going to be able to come back? Can you compete with the other sports when you come back? Because if you look the way... These sports are strategically placed. You know, it used to be the NFL didn't take up 10 months out of the calendar. That the NBA had its opportunity. Baseball had its opportunity. The NHL had its opportunity. That's changed because the NFL has basically said, we're going full speed ahead here. We're going to have a draft. We're going to have the uh, schedule release party. And we're going to be starting this season on time. And the NFL will tell you they plan on having fans in the stands. The NFL will benefit from all of this. Because if basketball gets pushed back, I mean, we just don't know. Basketball will probably start around Christmas next year. Probably. Because the NBA is going to be worried about the second wave of the coronavirus. This is just what's being discussed. Okay? That this isn't political. This is just what is being discussed. And you're finding this out with Major League Baseball right now. It's being discussed. What if we have October, November for a World Series of the playoffs where the owners are making their money, TV revenue, and then you have a second wave? These are the things being discussed. But it feels like, and I'm, I'm thrilled when I said this three weeks ago, uh, you know, the NBA should just go undercover and not say anything to anybody. And the commissioner did that. He appeared, and now we have a plan that feels like it's got some thought behind it, and that maybe that it can work. But it's, uh, it's going to change tomorrow. It'll change next week. It's just how fluid this is. You know, we look at college football. You've got you know, Michigan's president saying, we're not playing football if there's no fans. Okay, Oklahoma's opening up. The SEC schools are going to be opening up. It, it feels like it is a free-for-all. It's every man, every team, every league for themselves here. And that, that's what scares me is trying to get some unity here so we're able to have some common ground that everybody can start with. But I, I don't know what college football is going to look like. You know, Ohio State's talking about 20,000 fans get in the stands instead of 100,000. Okay. Just tell me how it works. If you want to go. Go. Piping in crowd noise. All of these things, if I said this to you, what, six months ago, hey, these are the things we're going to be talking about. You'd have said you're crazy. We may get to a point here in a month or two months from now where we're talking about something where you say, I never thought we would get to this point. Hopefully it's something good and it's something positive. Because every single day, I know you tune in and you want to be informed and entertained, but it's hard to come on and not be able to move this forward. But you can't. It's like Sisyphus. You're pushing that boulder up the hill. It's coming back down on you. And that's the feeling you have. And I have every day where you think, you hope, and then you realize we're just like everybody else. We don't know. We try. We hear from people. But that doesn't mean anything. Because as great as this can be, as great as this country can be, and and what we want to happen... We don't know. We don't control it. And I think that's what these leagues have found out. Don't give me a date. Just when you feel like you're ready, then come back. The NHL feels like they're ready. They're ready to come back. Okay. NBA, great. College football, don't know. Major League Baseball, I have no clue. Whatsoever. All right, McLovin, what kind of poll question we got today?
1: Okay, actually, Paul, had a great idea. Which sport would you miss the most if it wasn't played this summer? MLB, NBA, or NHL?
0: Oh. So you get to keep one?
1: Yeah. I guess this all depends on your, your fandom, right? Because yeah. NHL fans don't cross over as much.
0: I, I guess the NBA, because you have the Lakers involved in this and LeBron and you have the Clippers involved, you have the Greek freak. Um, and, it, and it felt like we were headed towards something pretty exciting with the NBA. That showdown, maybe it's the Greek freak and the Lakers. Maybe LeBron gets another title. I, I'm going to say the NBA because I, I don't know what buzz there is for baseball. As much as we love baseball, we love it locally more than nationally. Uh, You know, you have the stain of the Red Sox and the Astros going into this season. The NHL, like what was the, was there a buzz with the NHL? Was there something that we couldn't wait to see? I I love, I think the NHL's got the best postseason. But was there any buzz? Was there a St. Louis Blues type story here? And I don't know if there was or not. It feels like it's been so long ago. Like I... I was wondering about this with the NBA teams. Like who would who would benefit from this if they come back and they play maybe a, you know five game series instead of seven game series. You know, are they, are the Houston Rockets even more dangerous or what about the Thunder? You know, there's there's teams that might benefit from this, but it feels like it's such a long time ago. Where you go I don't know who was playing great. The Clippers like the 4th seed in the West you know, where you're going, okay, is, is somebody getting in and they could be dangerous here? That's what my curiosity is with that. But I, I, would, I would miss, I think, the NBA because of the possibilities there. What else do you have, McLovin?
1: Okay, if you were a baseball star like a, like a Mike Trout, uh, would you come back? Would you actually, the question is, would you want to come back? Say you had a $35 million per year salary that was down to seven. Would you want to come back for an 82 game schedule?
0: Trout has taken the biggest haircut. I believe, percentage wise, right? It's thirty thirty six million. He's going to make seven. Seaton mentioned Garrett Cole.
2: Oh yeah, haircut.
0: Oh yeah, he just got his contract there. Um, you know that I it's tough to to say. I don't want to put myself in Mike Trout's shoes to say what he should or shouldn't do. He's got a wife who's pregnant. Like I don't I don't I don't know if I'm Mike Trout. I would want to play baseball. I, I, I would. He, he's made money. He's going to continue to make money. But if he's going to be quarantined, then that's different. Because now you're going to be away from your wife. And then that would be, I would probably say no. I would say no. If my wife, I didn't get to see my wife during these last couple of months and then she has the baby and I'm in, you know, in quarantine, then no, I wouldn't do it. Personally, I would not do that. But I think we all look at we can't relate to these numbers like, hey, you make 36. Oh, you're only going to make seven. Come on. I don't know what goes through their minds because they're like, wait, are the billionaires taking less money? Like, why? Why do I have to take less money? But you should be paid for what you're for the number of games you're playing. I'm not going to pay you because, hey, sorry about the season. You know, these are difficult times, and there has to be compromise. I just don't want the players to be put out on an island and say, oh, look at the players, they're greedy, because that's not fair to them. And I do think that they're going to get the wrath of this. Yeah, Paulie?
1: If I'm Mike Trout, I definitely want to come back, because when was the last time it's mid-July and the Angels were tied for first in the (laughs) West? (laughs) Day one, he comes back, we're like, hey, we're in the playoff picture. Yeah. This is the best thing to happen to the Angels in a decade. Yes, McLovin. I feel like the players have more leverage over the owners than at any time in history. Because I think, based on Blake Snell, the players just don't really want to come back. It doesn't sound fun. Why I don't would you know, want to come back for this. But I don't
0: know if you're going to have the majority of the players making the league minimum.
1: Snell hasn't gotten paid yet, and he said, "I'm not do. I don't want to do it." Baseball survives without Blake Snell. No, I'm saying, like from a player standpoint, he hasn't even gotten his big contract yet. He's like, "Yeah, I'll just yeah." But if I'm it.
0: an owner and I can get enough players to go on the field for a team. Then I do
1: that. But if you lose forty or fifty players, high-end players, then and yeah, one, two, but how many is enough to hurt them?
0: Well, I know. I, I'm just saying that these. I don't know what it. I don't know who's going to draw a line in the sand first here. You no, know, is the players? You know the and the baseball players' association. That's the strongest union we have in all the sports. I don't know how strong it is right now. And I don't know if there's one of those who's going to blink first. Yeah, Todd.
1: How much of it is the principle of the thing about to agreeing to take that much of a pay cut versus, as we discussed in previous shows, what's the price for taking that risk of getting sick? If everyone has that price? Seven million, no way, but 21.3 million, and it's worth playing?
0: I don't know about the risk, because that hasn't even been brought up as much as they're asking you to take this severe financial haircut. Blake Snell's the one who brought up about, "Hey, I'm nervous about coming back. It's not worth risking my health. I don't know how many other players have said that. We've had some people, uh, Nolan Arenado and Bryce Harper backed up Blake Snell. They didn't say, hey, I agree. I'm not going to come back and risk my health. Basically, this has been about money. It's not necessarily about health. All right, we'll take a break here. we got Tony Dungy who's going to join us. We had Dean Blandino on yesterday. And I'm going to play a clip to uh, Tony Dungy. Dean Blandino used to be the head of NFL officials. And... He told us a scenario when he was the head of NFL officials. There was, uh, in case of emergency, break glass, where, where he was watching the games from the control center. He would then get in touch with the official on the field of a game where there was a call that could be historically controversial or bad, game-changing, whatever it might be. He used the word historical. But we reached out to the NFL, and we got a no comment. But we did get in touch with a source, a, uh, a great source on this, and had some different things to say about Dean Blandino in his role with the officials when there was a call like we had with the Saints and the Rams in the playoffs. And Dean Blandino, by the way, wasn't in charge back then. He wasn't the head of officials. Al Riveron was. We'll take a break. Tony Dungy will join us coming up. Also, what does he think of the 4th and 15 instead of the onside kick? We'll spend some time with Tony Coming up 20 after the hour, this is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Phil Mickelson a little bit later on and the commissioner of the National Hockey League, Gary Bettman, will join us. We set uh get set for Tony Dungy the Hall of Famer on loan from NBC Sports who joins us from Tampa. Good morning, Tony.
2: Hey, DP. It looks like you guys are having a little too much fun there. I'm watching during the break and a lot of activity going on.
0: Oh, yeah. Bet you got a nice little setup. You got some sunshine there. You got uh, is that a solarium that you have there?
2: That is the kind of the fenced in area around the pool. And I have to be outside. We've got seven kids who are homeschooling. I promise you, it's, it's a lot quieter outside than it is inside.
0: All right. I want to play something for you. We had Dean Blandino on yesterday. And he, of course, was uh, used to be the head of uh, NFL officials. And we were talking about Sky Judge and the role of Sky Judge and what it's going to play, what it's going to look like, feel like with the upcoming season. Is it just for the preseason or the regular season? But here's my question for Dean Blandino and his answer. How often would you contact the officials on the field that, that we didn't know about when when you're from the home office? Can you talk about this now of how often you'd yeah, actually do that?
1: Sure. Look, it, it would happen from time to time. I mean, we had a, we had a plan in place, especially during the postseason, where if there was something, and this was going to be a break glass in case of emergency situation, right? This was going to be the Saints Rams. This was going to be something significant. We're not talking about something in the first quarter. This had end of game impact that we, we had a code word, I would get involved, I would communicate to the referee, we would get the officials together, they would have a conversation and we'd figure it out with the help of the video, right? That's not something that would happen very often. It would be in that isolated instance where if this is a play that we're gonna talk about for years to come, let's get it right now, even if it's not within, within the realm of the rule and, uh, and let's deal with it now. Didn't happen very often, but, but we did have that in place.
0: Okay, so that's Dean Blandino. We reached out to the NFL. The NFL said we have no comment, but then through <laughs> a, through a source, I was told the following, Tony. Dean Blandino was describing how he approached certain situations. Now, this is he when he was in that role and that uh, the rule book permits some of this, but not what he's talking about. Penalty enforcement, the proper down spot of foul game clock. Dean Blandino was talking about, if I'm looking at something that needs to be changed, I'm going to do this. Now, he wasn't there for the Rams and the Saints. He's talking about extreme circumstances. Are uh, you surprised at all by, you know, that Dean Blandino was doing this, even though that's not in the rule book?
2: No, I'm not surprised. And, and I have a lot of respect for Dean. I thought thought he did his job as well as, as you could do it. Uh, there's a lot of pressure there. And my only, I guess... Problem with that would be: How do I know that a play in the first quarter isn't monumental? Yeah, uh, I would have wanted you to step in in the first quarter if there was a huge mistake that might impacted my career and my team's chance to win a Super Bowl. So, that that to me is the whole problem with this sky judge thing. Who says what play is going to be critical? How do we know, looking back, what the big play was? Are we going to get involved with everything and every little detail on every play? Um, I, I just. I never have been a big fan of replay, um, and, and I think this is just one of those reasons why.
0: Well, the Sky Judge, I just don't know how much authority he has. Can he, can he see something, and it might be away from the play, where there's a holding call or you know, a personal foul, and then all of a sudden he calls down, and then there, is he going to dictate what's going on in the field, or is it the other way around?
2: Right. And, and to me, that's the problem with it. Everybody thinks, oh, well, we've got this guy who can see everything and he's got all these cameras and he's sitting there and he, and he can see what actually happened. Yeah, then he can call down. But what happens if there's something else on that play? Uh, do, I, do I look at the whole play? Do I look at everything? Hey, yeah, the guy did really catch the ball, but they had offensive holding or there was, should have been a false start call. Uh, we, we had a, a play, Rams, uh, Kansas City, huge play. Everybody on TV saw that it was a false start. The play was allowed to go. It was a touchdown for the Rams. Uh, Are you bringing that back? Because you happen to see it. Uh, There's just too many things that go on during the course of a game to say we're going to stop a play because we think it's critical.
0: As a former coach, are you glad that the uh, pass interference replay (laughs) is going away?
2: I I just don't see how you can – re-look at and replay judgment calls. Uh, Everybody's judgment is going to be a little different. That's why you hire officials. They make the call on the spot, and you live with it. We've had that for a 100 years. And then to say, well, we're going to fix someone's judgment by somebody else's judgment just didn't make any sense to me.
0: The uh, fourth and 15, so no onside kick. So now we're toying with fourth and 15 for the team that uh, would be trying the onside kick. Your thoughts with that strategy?
2: yeah, I'm not a fan of that because to me, now you're replacing the skill of my kicker for the skill of my quarterback. And to me, kickoff should be a special teams play. And now we're saying uh, it's almost like the two-point conversion. Okay, you know, you can get two points. We make it difficult. So I, I guess the thought is there. But to me, you, you when you're kicking the ball off, you should have to kick it off. And your kicker should have to have some skill. I understand the safety aspect of it. Uh, but now we're just making the quarterbacks more uh, important.
0: But if we're concerned about safety, the onside kick doesn't have marquee players. You have now I got to put my offense and defense back on the field for a fourth and 15. So, so now I have the star players, you know, further at risk with a, a play like this instead of the onside kick.
2: Right. To me, if you're worried about safety and kickoffs are dangerous, then take kickoffs out of everything. Just start the ball at the 30-yard line uh, when the the offense gets it. Now I'd be more in favor of this 4th and 15 play. Uh, hey, I can give the, the offense the ball at the 30-yard line or I can have a 4th and 15 from my own 20 and I, I'll take my chances every, every time out. But don't have it be a special team play part of the time until it really gets critical and then turn it into an offensive
0: play. I see right through you, though, Coach. You're being phony because this comes down to Devin Hester, and you just don't want <laughs> Devin Hester
2: <laughs> returning. <laughs> Kickoffs are very dangerous. There's a lot of danger involved. Maybe we should take him out of the game.
0: But do you realize Devin Hester would not be a borderline Hall of Famer in today's game because we're, we're trying to get the kickoff out of the game. All these great return men who made names for themselves – we won't have that anymore in the NFL.
2: And that's hard to take. It's such an exciting part of it. And to see those guys who could, could go the distance and you had to plan for them and you're trying to kick away from them and kick to the corners and squib and all those things. To me, that was an interesting part of the game. And knowing that Devin Hester, every time back there, had a chance to take it to the house, people were watching. Now kickoffs, basically you go get your uh, coffee or your, your, your snack and wait for him to spot the ball.
0: I'm also curious about these quarterbacks this year in particular trying to get acclimated with an offense. I know Tom Brady is doing that. He's going to have, well, it'll it'll be a challenge, I guess, trying to get your players together. But here you have Joe Burrow is expected to play this year. I don't know if Tua is going to play or Justin Herbert or Jordan Love, but if you're looking at Joe Burrow trying to get acclimated with a Cincinnati offense that needs help and you can't even do it you have to do it by, you know, Zoom. How difficult is that going to be, and what is the expectation level for Joe Burrow this year?
2: Very, very tough. Uh, I You know, Tom Brady, his whole thing is timing, anticipation, and he's got to find that with these receivers. Joe Burrow has to find all that, too, but then he's got to learn the offense, and he's got to be involved with the offensive coordinator and, and everyone. So it, it's going to really, really be difficult. I, I think in the last 10 years, the offenses have really had an advantage. You know, they could go to Arizona or Peyton Manning could take his whole crew to Duke and they they could be together and Mm -hmm. basically practice for a week, two weeks if they wanted to. Defenses couldn't do that. And so the offenses you saw just get better and better and, and really get ahead of the defenses. Now I think it's definitely going to even up because... Uh, it's going to be tougher for the quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I don't know if Justin Herbert plays this year, and if Tua is going to be challenging, you know Ryan Fitzpatrick. I I don't even know if that makes sense for them. But I do think Joe Burrow's coming in, and they expect him to start right away.
2: Yeah, he's got to play, and he will play, and he'll work his way through it. He just won't be as far along as he could have been, and you know that that's going to be tough on him. But he'll he'll make his way through it.
0: Uh. I appreciated your comments on the Rooney rule um that it, it just it felt like they were trying to do something and incentivize these owners to do something that they should be doing anyway and these other you know head coaches and things so um,
2: I, yeah that was actually really put forward by Steve Bisciotti and the and the Ravens and he just felt like that there needed to be something to kickstart this that we just can't keep going and and I applaud that. Uh, The one thing I don't think they really thought through was all the ramifications of it. And if I'm a coach who gets hired, um, I don't want people feeling like they have to help me. And that would have been the case with these extra draft choices. Um, You know, I got the job and now I'm going to get extra draft choices. That wasn't the intention, but that's the way it would have come off. And I think that would have been difficult.
0: But you waited a while. You certainly had success as a defensive coordinator. You, you put in your time, but do you think that process could have been sped up for you to get a head coaching job?
2: Yeah, I, I think there were a lot of owners who were looking for a certain type of, of coach, and not everybody thought that my type of coach could be successful. Some of it may have had to do with race. Some of it might have been my personality. Uh, who, who knows? But I, I think that unknown is, is different. Uh, I'm the same person that I was 25 years ago. I could get a job much easier today, even though I'm I'm not as qualified. I've been out of the game 12 years, Uh, but being known to these owners makes a difference. And somehow we've got to get them to understand that the unknown is not all bad. And there might be some, some quality gems that are unknown to them. If they investigate a little bit.
0: Yeah. I just was curious about Eric B because if Matt Nagy is qualified for a job, then why isn't Eric B And, and, and I'm not, I don't mean to single out Nagy, but I got a guy who just came off a super bowl with one of the great offenses we've seen in recent memory and why he didn't get a head coaching job. I'm, I'm not sure. It,
2: yeah. Well, it's not new, Dan, uh, 30 years ago, the same thing happened. Mike Holmgren gets on this great run with Green Bay. Mike Holmgren is orchestrating that offense. Everybody who goes into the offensive coordinator position moves on and benefits from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Steve Mariucci, Andy Reid, they, they get there, they go on, they do a great job. Sherman Lewis then becomes the guy who gets elevated. And all of a sudden everybody says, well, Sherman Lewis doesn't call the play. <laughs> well, <laughs> You know? gosh, neither did Steve Mariucci, neither did Andy Reid. That's the way the system works. Fast forward 25 years later, same thing. Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, all these guys in the Andy Reid system, they're doing the same thing. Matt Nagy, and they go on, they win Super Bowls. They go on to become coach of the year. Now Eric gets in the same position, does the mm-hmm. same thing, goes to the Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator. And, well, Eric Biennemi doesn't call the plays. Come on, please.
0: We haven't moved too far on this, Tony.
2: No, no.
0: I I don't know how... I, it has to bum you out. Like, you you were successful. You're a Hall of Fame coach. But you got to be looking. And you opened up doors for a lot of people. But you got to look around and go, it's two steps forward, it's two steps back.
2: Well, and Dan, that's what really bums me out. I hear these arguments about the pipeline, that we don't have enough candidates in the pipeline. Uh, when, when I coached, in nineteen ninety six I was specifically looking for young guys who were going to rise up the ladder, and they weren't hard to find okay, lovey Smith and Mike Tomlin. I got criticized quite a bit for hiring these young unknown guys, but if if you looked around, you got good recommendations from people. you knew they were going to be good, so uh for me to just sit there and say. There's not a pipeline now. We can't find these guys. There's no more Leslie Frazier's and Mike Tomlin's and Lovie Smith's and Jim Caldwell's. I just don't believe that.
0: Well, you got to keep, keep shouting from the mountaintops, Tone, which I know <laughs> you're not afraid to do. But, um, hey, my best to you and uh, the hey. family, and, and it's always great to talk to you.
2: Thank you. I miss you guys. Got to get up there soon. Hopefully we can do it live one of these days.
0: Don't bring in all the kids, though, Tony. No. no. Social distancing. We got to
2: stay in groups of less than 10.
0: Thank you, Tony. All righty. We'll see you. Tony Dungy, Hall of Famer. We'll take a break. Play the day's up next here on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app, at fsr or stream us live every day at youtube.com slash the dan patrick show i know it's still a big deal now with what happened with the bad boys they didn't acknowledge the bulls they walked off the court with a couple of seconds left we want good sportsmanship you have to understand how intense and real the rivalry was they did not like each other they hated each other and you had that with the pistons and the celtics maybe not that much vitriol but you had that where Detroit had to get through Boston. And then once they got through Boston, they ended up winning titles. The Bulls had to get through the Pistons. And then once they got through the Pistons, they never looked back. They went on to win their titles. Every team has a team in front of them that you try to figure out, how do we solve them? And then once you do, it feels like you leave them in your wake. If the Pistons don't want to shake the Bulls' hands, I, you know, looking back, I'm glad they didn't. Because it meant that rivalry was real. It was so real, we're going to take it with us into the offseason. We won't acknowledge your greatness here. We refuse to do that. I would rather have that than sort of this phony, everybody loves everybody at the end of a game. I want rivalries. I grew up on rivalries. I miss rivalries. It's like the Red Sox and Yankees. I was thinking this the other day. Where did that go? Like it used to be, that was a rivalry as much as the Red Sox wanted to make it a rivalry there for a long time, it wasn't. It was the Yankees were the hammer and the Red Sox were the nail. And then all of a sudden Red Sox spent some money and they got some stars. They went toe to toe. They ended up winning. And now we've lost that rivalry. Like who are the great rivalries right now? Michigan, Ohio state's not a rivalry because Ohio state wins. That's not a rivalry. You may not like each other, you're not on equal footing here. Alabama Auburn, they may not like each other, they're not on equal footing. We've lost Texas Oklahoma, they're not on equal footing. Yeah, see. But by our own logic, Yankees Red
1: Sox was best when the Yankees were winning all the time. Um, I mean for a long time like you said, like the Yankees were the hammer and the Red Sox were the nail.
0: But when they went into the postseason and faced each other and, and you know, the, when you had the great comeback by the Red Sox, I mean, yeah. it, it was great because it was they felt like they were almost on equal footing and the Red Sox ended up winning. That became a great story. When, when the Red Sox don't win, then all it is is the Yankees. And it, it, it just didn't feel like a rivalry. And then all of a sudden, the Red Sox got equal footing with the Yankees. And then the rivalry left us.
1: Yeah, Paul. In the past 15 years, the Yankees have one World Series title. The Red Sox have four. It feels,
0: well, it did feel like the Yankees were not on equal footing with the Red Sox there for quite some time. At least a decade. Now, I don't even know. Who are the Red Sox anymore? I don't
1: even know. Yeah, Paul. The Yankees haven't appeared in a World Series in this decade. I wonder when was the last time that happened. Where they didn't appear. The 80s? They were probably in the early 80s. But a, a, an entire decade where they didn't appear in a World Series. They won one in 09. Yeah.
0: By the way, check out the uh, DP Show merchandise. DP Show gear. Uh, something special. Coming just in time for Father's Day. Are we getting chat row t-shirts this week, Seton? Uh, hopefully. Am I getting my penny t-shirt? I don't know if you're getting your penny t-shirt yet. No. Why? I only want one made yeah. since chat row. Didn't vote the one with our house dog penny on it. Correct. I'm taking, I want one t-shirt made with penny on it. There's a lot of good penny t-shirts floating around, by the way, uh, there are a lot of good ones. Right. There might be a line, a penny line. No, uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. I love penny. The house dog here. Does, every day. Every day. Does she love you? I don't know. I think mm-hmm. she uses me, but I've been used before by women. So, I mean, I'm fine with it. I give her a cookie And she's so excited to see me. And then Penny goes and lies down. So she shows her love for about 10 seconds. And then that's it. Gives me her paw. And then she goes and lies down. I love Penny. All for a cookie. Yeah. Uh, I did it all for the cookie. Uh, A couple of phone calls here. Colby in Florida joins us. Hi, Colby. What do you have for me today?
2: How's it going, DP? 59180. Uh, I just have a quick question. Uh, Well, first off, I hope all of you are in good health and everything's going great with the quarantine. Glad to see everybody back. And uh, with the change in the kickoff rule, uh, I wonder how this would affect the, you know, surprise onside kick like the Saints pulled in uh, the playoffs that one year.
0: Well, we're not going to have it. I'm not sure I understand your question, Colby.
2: Well, they're still having this kickoff, right? The, the kickoff instead of the onside, but it, you can elect to go for fourth and 15. Yeah. But if you're doing a normal kickoff and you do the surprise onside, does that take that away completely out of the game? Where you find up like a normal kickoff at the start of the first half or the start of the game and you do a surprise onside kick, does that take that completely out of the game as well?
0: Oh, I don't know. Um, McLevin, are you allowed to do an onside yes.
1: It's an an option. He's right, I think. Uh, Okay. Yeah.
0: Because I think a lot of this is being proposed. Just And thank you, Colby. Now I understand what you were saying. I I don't want it to go away. I understand what they're trying to do with the kickoff. I would rather they just placed it on the 25-yard line instead of they want to get rid of the kickoff. They're doing their best to get rid of the kickoff. The onside kick was pretty good. I like the element of that. But I know they're trying to cut down on these collisions. They're not letting you get a run-up start, you know, if you're the team kicking off. I, I understand all of those things. But now I'm going to put star players back on the field for one more play on a fourth and 15. Coming up, Phil Mickelson will join us. And we'll talk to the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman. Update the poll results. More phone calls coming up as well here. Dan and the Dan at Stan Patrick Show.